Hi there, everyone. I'm Gwen Jones, and welcome once again to the I'm a Rotarian podcast, the weekly podcast where I introduce you to amazing people who proudly call themselves Rotarians. Well, as you know, October 24th, 2022 is World Polio Day, and Rotarians all over the world are doing their part to not only raise money to stop the spread of polio, but to raise awareness to what actually polio is. Something that quite a few of us, well, we thought we'd never have to do again. But now that polio has popped its ugly head up again in the UK as well as New York City, getting an understanding about polio and a cure for polio has never, ever, ever been more important. It's spreading, everybody. We've got work to do. And I'm going to introduce you to two Americans that are on their way to Italy to not only spread the word about ending polio now, but they're going to do it by raising money and walking from Florence, Italy to Rome. You're going to meet Helen Hankins and Mike Mauser this week on the show. And we're talking polio, raising money, and a beautiful walk through Italy. Join us, won't you? It's Polio Show. Wait a minute. That sounds weird. It's the End Polio Now Show this week. And I'm so glad you joined us for the conversation. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Well, all my Rotarian friends out there should know that October 24th, 2022 is World Polio Day. That's right. We set aside a whole day to celebrate the eradication of polio. And we are really, really close. However, that sneaky little polio has decided to come back again uh, in the UK and right here in New York City, where um, in the United States, where the podcast comes from. So our work is not done. And so in October, we have some amazing Rotarians, Helen Hankins and Michael Mausler, that are going to literally take one step closer to end polio and they're going to walk for polio across Italy. And they're going to tell me all about it. They're going to tell me how come they're going to walk across Italy so I don't have to. However, if I'm going to walk across any country, walking across Italy sounds like a lot of fun. Michael and Helen, welcome to the show. It's so awesome to have you both with me. Thank you. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. Well, first of all, I mean, I know that's a, that was a lengthy intro because I do want to remind everybody that uh, October 24th is World Polio Day, but we hear about people like yourselves that are willing to do these grand gestures. And I want to ask the great question, which is why? Why do you want to walk across Italy? <laughs> Well, first, let me clarify, we're not walking across Italy, we're walking from Florence to Rome through Assisi, and it's a, a route that St. Francis had uh, traversed many times in his lifetime. Uh, the reason we are doing this, of course, is to raise funds and awareness for polio. Uh, Helen and I did a similar walk across Spain, uh, kind of Camino uh, de Santiago, six years ago, and we just decided to do this as, as part of a, a fundraiser for Rotary 
and war signs saying pogamos fin a la polio, you know, saying let's put an uh, end to polio uh, uh, on our backs as we walked across uh, Spain. And it was a great trip. We raised money, but we raised awareness too. Uh, there were a lot of people from all over the world that uh, do that trek, as well as about half the people that do the pilgrimage are from Spain. So we engaged both locals and people from around the world uh, with the idea of uh, ending polio and also uh, managed to uh, raise uh, funds too. Uh, when we joined the Rotary Club for Global Action last year, we proposed this as a fundraiser, and we decided this time we were going to walk from Florence to Rome and raise funds. And we've got a really enthusiastic support from the club. And Helen can talk a little bit more about that. Well, one of the reasons that I'm really interested in doing this is we had a fellow Rotarian in a club we belong to in northern Nevada. And we got to know her a little bit, and she was a polio survivor. And she talked to me about being in a polio isolation ward in the 40s wow. and the difficulties of being isolated from her parents and only being able to see them through a second-story window. She <sighs> said that she had 18 surgeries, if you can believe that, on her legs so that she would be able to walk, but she only could walk with the limp. And once we were on a trip with her to Mexico, and she lifted up her skirt and showed me her legs, and they were just so scarred and twisted. I was amazed she could walk at all. And just my conversations with her made me realize this is such a wonderful thing that Rotary is doing and has been doing since the 80s. And we do want to help bring it to closure because it's not a curable disease, but it's preventable. And we want to move us forward. Yeah. Yeah, we're old enough. We're in our 70s. So we can remember going to the school and getting the vaccine on a sugar cube. And I can remember the posters and things like that that were uh, very uh, frequently around for us to see with little kids, you know, in, in crutches. Uh, I remember those. So for the record, I know you're 70, I am 56 and I remember them too. I think probably, however, the difference between our two age groups is that I got the, the shot kind of gun kind of thing that it was polio mumps and something else. And you went into the cafeteria and they went, and you were done and you got a cookie. So you got a sugar cube. We got a cookie. So, I, But yeah, I, I still, I, and I remember those posters very much. So. What's, what's interesting to me is that, you know, it was contained in the United States uh, many years ago, but in our travels to other countries, it's not uncommon to see beggars in the street with crippled legs uh, not able to do things or people scooting around on these little uh, wagons because yeah. their their legs don't function. Uh, so we've had opportunities to be reminded of the uh, scourge of polio e- even in more recent times. And then in our walk across Spain, we talked to people. Uh, they were a little later than the United States in controlling polio. So a lot of people there had a more recent recollection of relatives and friends that had polio. But then when we spoke to the younger people, some of them didn't even know what polio was. Yeah. 
And I think it's important. Uh, it's almost uh, unfortunate that we're getting some publicity now with the cases in London and, and New York. I, it's and unfortunate I, we have them. Yeah, yeah I, I think that's that's funny. In fact, when I, I when I actually brought it up in my Rotary group that we have these two outbreaks in these two areas, I, I there is something absolutely beautiful about millennials or younger than millennials having no idea what polio is. And then on the other hand, there's something that's rather scary because there is a kind of a separation. We're now so separated from things like mumps and the thing, I mean, even the flu these days that kills thousands of people every single year is just like, oh, well, go get your flu shot or yeah, it's just the flu. And there's a real separation. And so what are you, are you guys trying to to make this crossing to close that gap kind of of that disconnect between polio and the youth of today or people of today? Yeah, we have two objectives we, we're just keeping right in mind here. One is to raise awareness and the other is to raise funds. Mm-hmm. And raising awareness is just with wearing our polio shirts. And yes, very nice. And, <laughs> and that sign on the back of our pack that says, uh, uh, polio in Italian and in polio now in English and our uh, QR code so they can go to our uh, website if they want. When we did this in Spain, people actually handed us cash. And I remember one time when we were uh, just off the track a little ways and a woman insisted on taking our picture. Now, normally when somebody takes your picture, they want you to face the camera. She wanted us to have our backs to her so she could take a picture mm. of our signs that we were carrying. And she was really interested in wanting to share this because uh, it was uh, something that uh, was very uh, meant a lot to her that people were uh, fighting for uh, the elimination of polio, having had uh, you know relatives with polio. Well, one thing that's happening is while we're walking in Spain, other members of the Rotary Club for Global Action are going to be engaging rotor actors and interactors. And they're going to be doing uh, distance matching or virtual walks. For example, uh, maybe if we walk one mile, they'll walk one foot. Or if we walk um, 20 miles, maybe they'll walk 20 feet. However, they decide to set it up and they will also be getting our posts every day that talk about how many steps we've taken. And some of them will be trying to do that many steps over a period of time. So there's a lot of different ways we're trying to engage youth of today all over the world. And uh, I'm excited that they will be part of this project, too. So you we're, said, we're also, please, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, we're also excited to be using a relatively new fundraising platform that Rotary has uh, put out called Raise for Rotary. And it allows us to function as a doorway into the polio fund. Uh, When people donate to our website, they actually just uh, put down the amount that they want and it goes right to uh, the site where you- Polio fund. the, The polio fund. So other Rotarians, when they, donate, they're not donating to us, they're donating directly to the foundation, and they get credit for that donation towards their Paul Harris, their cult gets credit for uh, 
company members that donate. Some of uh, our, Helen mentioned, we have members in our club that are doing things, but we have members in other clubs in other districts that are doing something. Uh, somebody from another district is actually walking the whole way with us. Uh, and and how, how do you mean, how do you mean they're doing that? How are they walking the whole, are they walking the same amount of distance mean in miles or are they? No, they're, they're actually going to be meeting us in Italy and walking from Florence to Rome with us. And wow. as we walk, uh, actually, even before we start our walk, we're meeting with uh, Rotarians in Florence. They're going to host us at a dinner and see us off on September 8th. And then halfway there, uh, we're going to be hosted by another club in Assisi. And when we finally get to Rome, there's plans to be hosted yet again by clubs there in Rome. And along the way, we have made contact with the Italian Rotarians who will uh uh, maybe walk partway with us, et cetera. Uh, but yes, one individual, Jim Ludwig, uh, is going to walk the entire distance with us. And we're really excited to have him along because he's going to be uh, taking videos and we're going to be doing interviews and uh, posting to the social networks uh, so people can follow us along the way. There's another guy in California who is going to walk the same distance that we're walking, 327 miles, but he's going to do it uh, in his home state, which happens to be California, um, on you know different paths and things, but he's going to be doing the same amount of miles, and he's made a donation of a dollar per mile that he plans to walk. So people are doing all different kinds of things to support this. Another club is going to do a virtual walk with us, but they're actually going to walk to an Italian restaurant in their community and have an Italian dinner. So another way to support what we're doing. So it sounds like, I mean, if, if, I'm, if I'm understanding this right, you're going to have Rotarians that are going to take care of you all the way there. You get to spend time in one of the most beautiful countries in the world and you get to raise money. It's it's kind of like a pseudo vacation, except for the walking 300 miles. I want mean- <laughs> to uh, clarify that being taken care of, we're being hosted at a couple of dinners along the way, but we're uh, funding this whole trip ourselves, staying wow. in motel, bed and breakfast, monasteries, uh, albergues, uh, different places along the way. So there's no cost associated with this for anybody but except for ourselves. Well, thank you for your generosity. I do want to pinpoint because I did say across uh, Italy, but it does sound like you went across Spain, but you're going a different direction, definitely in Italy. But you, you did mention that these are actually ancient roots. These aren't just roots that you decided to, you know, you got up one day and, and went to AARP or AAA or whatever, and said, I think I'm going to walk from such and such to such and such. So starting with your your past one in Spain, and then we'll get to uh, Francis Assisi, please, please tell us the way you went in Spain. Now, how is that and what made that particular route in Spain so attractive to you guys? Well, the route in Spain uh, is called the, the Way of St. James. Mm-hmm. And it uh, goes from um, the French side of the Pyrenees um, across uh, northern Spain uh, to uh, Santiago de Compostela, 
which is a actual pilgrimage route that was used at least since the Middle Ages for people wanting to travel to um, the uh, alleged place where St. James was buried. And um, there are many monasteries and uh, religious sites along that route. And it's uh, been, you know, in use for 500 years. And so we had heard about it from some friends and just thought that we would really like to take it. And our friend that I'd mentioned earlier, Sarah, had passed away just shortly before that trip. And so we decided to make it a fundraiser for polio in her honor. So that's kind of how we got started on that one. And a couple years ago, we were actually more than that now. It was in 2018. We were doing a different walk in Spain. And somebody on that walk said, you guys really ought to go from Florence to Rome. It's a really a wonderful route. And uh, the Italian food is wonderful. <laughs> and Mike, do you want to add more about that route? About the way I was going to say, is, is it as old as this particular route that you're doing? I mean, because I am a huge history buff and I have heard of the, the track across Spain. I was not familiar in my history lessons with this one from Florence to Rome, which you said is 312 miles. Is that what I heard you say? It, it depends on the exact route you take. We okay. might take a short So tell us about this route. <laughs> tell, tell her about it. Um, this route, uh, of course, people have been going to Rome for, for many, many years. Many millennia, yes. <laughs> yes. But it's not been developed like the one in Spain where they've put in the infrastructure, the uh, the interest, et cetera, to revive what uh, uh, types of lodging and uh, things they had for pilgrims. So it follows the uh, spine of, of Italy, and you're going up and down, up, up in the uh, mountains and down into the valleys to uh, at these different small cities. Uh, it revisits many of the places St. Francis uh, had been to in his travels. And so he had uh, originated in Florence. Uh, he lived in Assisi. Uh, he traveled to Rome many times. And so the route is roughly paralleling or, or crossing or uh, doing the same, traveling across the same territory St. Francis would have uh, traveled uh, years ago. And that's pretty much the story of, of that as a route. Yeah, it's not really a pilgrimage route in the same way that the way of St. James is in Spain. It it uh, goes a lot of places where St. Francis uh, uh, preached and lived, but it's not a established pilgrimage route, you know, since the Middle Ages, even though he lived about 1200 or so, but it's. It's more of a, a route that covers many of the same places where he lived and worked. So when you're along these travels, I mean, they have they have uh, probably as much a historical uh, part to them as a religious part of them. Of course, uh, Rotary is is non-denominational, but I would I but this is a 
path well-traveled, I guess, is the best way to say it. So what kind of people do you meet on the pathways? Now, I know you have some Rotarians that are going to be having you over some meals and different things, but I assume that there is a lot of time where it is the two of you, you know, what are the, what are the type of travelers that you meet on in, on these paths? Well, I can't, you can't answer the Italian one quite yet, but on, on the Spanish walk, uh, when you were in Spain, um, what kind of people did you run into? It's uh, actually about half locals and then half tourists. Okay. And the between the two groups, about half those people are doing it for religious reasons or spiritual allegiance. Another half are doing it for more uh, sport or, you know, just to, to see the countryside. and so The beauty of the place that uh, you're we in. Find that yeah. Yeah, and and the physical challenge of doing it, it is also a, a factor for many people. Uh, the Catholic Church uh, gives you some uh, consideration for doing the last hundred kilometers. So in Spain, the last hundred kilometers got really really crowded. Uh, it was uh-huh. extremely interesting because people along the way are all from all over the world and many different things happening. For example, when we were in Spain, we crossed paths a number of times with a group of people who were uh, blind and they were doing the pilgrimage. And some of them were uh, partially blind. Some of them were totally blind. Some of them had guide dogs and others were just walking with somebody else. Uh, And others were, you know, a could use a cane or something like that, but that was that was a really neat thing to talk and, and uh, meet with these people. There are people from uh, South Korea that were going along for religious reasons, Catholics. Uh, other people were just uh, interested in in the physical uh, aspect of it, you know, just to to, to, to uh, challenge themselves with a, a long long trip. I think well, you know the age range was really interesting to us. The the gentleman that told us about walking from Florence to Rome, he was 82. Wow. And when we talked to him in Spain, he was doing his fourth Camino. Uh, we met, you know, a lot of young people, of course, um, college age, and uh, not too many children, and really not very many Americans, mostly people from from Western Europe and, and a few from, from Asia, but I would say mostly Western Europe. And... Uh, Probably more people that were on the younger side or more people that were retired, but the locals especially, I think, were more in that middle range, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s range. So you just met people from everywhere, and they spoke many different languages. English was generally the only language that most people could speak at least a little bit, uh, but it was really quite quite a mix of people. Well, and that's fascinating that this that this historical these two historical pathways are still these international pathways, literally hundreds of years since their creation, they're still doing exactly what they were meant to do. And so that's that's pretty awesome. I do have one question you mentioned when we were talking about polio and that sugar cube that both of you guys, and I know I'm never supposed to say a lady's age, so I do not know the specific age, but you did admit that you guys were in the seventies. I I assume. Um, How do you get ready 
to walk 300 miles at your age. And I say that with air quotes in the world of audio, you know, you're seven years. There's a lot of people saying, I'm, I would, I'd rather go to Italy and to hang out at Lake Como and, you know, drink a cocktail and, and look at the, the, you know, who wants to go up and down mountains at your age? How do you get ready for such a task? Helen will address that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Helen. Are are you the are you the uh, army sergeant that gets you guys up at the, you know, crack of dawn to go walk? What's up? Well, actually, um, you know, Mike and I have um been hiking and backpacking together for more than 50 years. And so we have a fair amount of experience with uh, you know, longer distance walks and you know, traveling with with the backpack, but generally Mike is stronger than I am and can, um, it seems to me anyway, without even think about it, walk 10 miles. But for me, I wanted to be sure that I was as ready as I could be when I got to Italy, because I didn't want to worry about uh, if something was going to be adverse to my health. I just wanted to enjoy the trip and the best way was to get ready. So I actually had uh, have a training schedule that started the first of the year. And initially I was walking two days a week, uh, doing the treadmill two days a week and swimming two days a week. And when we started, we were walking um, on the walk days, four or five miles at a time. Okay. And now on our long days, we're walking 14 or 15 miles a day. So we've worked up to that, you know, over the last eight months and the swimming, you know, we've worked up from 30 or 40 minutes to swimming an hour. And the swimming is important for a couple of reasons. One, it just builds general endurance and stamina, but also, especially for me, it strengthens my back so that when I'm carrying a pack and the treadmill for me, I just did intervals so that I could increase my my rate of walking so we did all those things and we pretty consistently done that level of exercise six days a week you know since January and we've started you know at shorter distances and shorter time swimming and we've built up to now we uh, were I mentioned you know 14 or 15 miles on a long days and five or six on the short days. And then wow. we swim more than an hour usually. So twice a week. And, you know, it's, I don't think fitness is necessarily defined, but defined by age. And uh, I read a book once about younger next year uh, for women. And it stressed the importance of uh, diet and uh, exercise and having an important goal. And so this kind of addresses all those things. Uh, all these things contribute to longevity. So that's kind of our story about how we train. And well, and we you know, you are starting in Florence and you're heading to Rome, which is downhill. So, you know, you yeah. don't have to. <laughs> I mean, well, and, uh, it, you know, how many, how many miles are you going to try and do a day? I mean, do you have a set timeline or is it, are you kind of flexible? Well, we're pretty much following a guidebook with its suggested route and uh, intervals. 
And we've already made reservations. There's 28 days to our trip. So we've made reservations at uh, 28 different places along the way. We're committed right now. And the average distance, I think, is 11 miles. Okay. And right. some long days, 15 or 15 miles. There's going to be tougher days where we're going to be more uh, climbing and dropping more than other days. And we're going to have some easy days. Um, well, and you've got the, upping, the climbing days. That, that You're also dealing with like altitude and stuff as well. Is that correct? I mean, not only the yes. steepness of the road, but the altitude once you get there. Yeah, the altitude, we we live at over 50, uh, 700 feet here in Nevada. So when we do our 15-mile loop on dirt roads right outside our house, uh, we're doing over 1,000 feet of elevation gain. Uh, last weekend, we went 3,000 feet up to, I think, close to 10,000 feet elevation here in, wow. in the mountains. So the elevations there, it's, you know, we're down at close to sea level and uh, 3,000 feet, maybe at the highest. So we're not really concerned about. So it's not uh, like you're hiking in Peru, right? <laughs> you're not, no. you're not hiking no. in the Andes no. by any means. No. Okay. Well, so. No. Th no, thank you. So then when you're, when you're walking, I mean, you, you live in Nevada you live a, a normal North America life. I assume you have a car. I assume you have, you know, friends, I assume, you know, you go to your rotary meetings and you're in a car and is there something just totally different when you're walking? I mean, what is, so, I mean, I imagine, I imagine when I'm on a bicycle, there's a huge difference than when I'm in a car, I'll travel on a bicycle down a road and I'll see things that I've never, ever seen when I've driven down the same road in a car, you're now going to walk 300 plus miles Tell us, tell the listeners about how different it is when you're actually seeing a, another country by walking uh, it as opposed to driving it. There's there's a number of things that I, I'm looking forward to that I've experienced that I really uh, enjoy. One thing is it's so quiet. Mm. You don't realize how noisy cars are and, and how noisy your life is in, in general until you're somewhere where there is no car noise, there's no uh, uh, noise just from, you know, industry, et cetera. I, I remember one time when we were in Spain, we dropped down into a town, but there were no, there was no traffic and you heard people's voices. That was, that was what you heard as you got closer. People wow. talking. Et and uh, the other thing, as when you're walking along, I made a recording at one point and it struck me, this is what I'm listening to is the crunch of my feet on the, on the gravel or the, or the, or the ground as I walked. That was the, that was the loudest thing. The other thing is, as I, as I walk along, it seems like everything is new. Every single corner you turn, you're seeing something you've never seen before in your life. So you're somewhere else in the world. And you're just exploring and finding and discovering things that are that are just new, and you're finding this at a, at a really uh, slow pace, a pace that allows you to really absorb and appreciate it. And then, of course, there's the people. Uh, mm -hmm. You're uh, meeting people who aren't in a rush. They're not trying to sell you something. You're not trying to negotiate something. You're not 
doing business, et cetera. You're not doing a job. You're just meeting people that are doing the same thing you're doing, just walking along, enjoying yourself, uh, you know, challenging yourself physically, et cetera. And you'll share stories with these people. We've had really nice conversations with people from all over the world. And, you know, those are some of the, the memories I, I have and some of the things I look forward to in, in Italy is just having that, that uh, contact with people from all over. I think for me, a lot of it is, is the pace. You know, when we're busy going to town, we live 15 miles out of town. So when we go to town, we try to do several things in one trip. Right. Um, and so you're always thinking about, well, I've got to do this and stop there and go here and go over by that place. But when you're walking, you don't have that same issue because your objective is really to go from the village you're in to the next village, which you know is some hours away. Some of the places we'll be walking all day without going through another village. And the guidebook says, be sure you take plenty of food and water because there won't be any. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's it's just a different pace. It's so much slower. And also it's tranquil. I mean, Mike mentioned the quiet, but uh, as you're just walking along and you walk three miles or five miles or eight miles and there's nobody around, there's just you. And uh, a lot of this country is is going to be forested. And so there will be trees and I imagine some birds. And uh, it's just an entirely different experience than zooming someplace in your car. Right. So then I imagine I would, because I, I live here on a on a little island up here in the Pacific Northwest. So I would say that getting into that might be pretty easy. Within a day or two, you you're starting to hear all those sounds. What was it like coming out of the Spanish trip, and then what is it going to be like? You think coming out of this Italy trip from that piece, and then you're back. How? What a shock was that? How how shocking was that? I, I wouldn't call it a shock because it was a transition that just sort of built. It's okay. like a, a you know a symphony where you're coming up to the crescendo. As we walked in Spain, I mentioned that the last hundred kilometers, uh, more and more people were involved in this walk because they only had to do the last hundred kilometers to get their absolution from the Catholic Church. Gotcha. And so you were getting more and more people. You know, at the start, uh, you'd start with tens, hundreds of people, but even a hundred people walking all day long. In a 10 mile stretch, you get spread out so much you can be often uh, out of sight of anybody else. But as you got closer to uh, the, the Compostello, uh, Santiago, boy, it, uh, it was almost a really happy. People were excited about completing their, their journey. So there was this, this excitement in the air. People were talking and, and chattering and visiting, et cetera. And you were elbow to elbow to people at times, uh, just as you as you walked along, not necessarily jostling, but but you know really in close proximity to people, uh, and they're all doing the same thing, and so there was a different mood, and you got swept up in that. And so I'm thinking that's maybe we'll see something like that as we approach Rome, 
And of course, I was going to say because you're coming uh, into yeah. you're coming into a metropolitan city on this oh, yeah. one, so yes. yeah. you know that's going to be. That, I suppose that's going to. It's not going to be such a wham. You're here, you know, <laughs> or maybe yeah, it no, will be. We don't we're, know. We're walking, and so it, it builds gradually. We've gone into bigger cities when we were in Spain too. And we'll maybe be on a bike path or a path along the river or something, but you'll start to see the, you know, pass bridges, see cars, start to get more uh, urbanized. Uh, again, you'll be finding you're uh, walking with uh, more uh, of the pilgrims, the people that are doing this the same as you are. It it just builds. And well, it's, it's a really neat experience, I think. Well, in Spain, uh, we had... A much longer distance. We walked uh, almost 500, well, more than 500 miles by the time we went from the Pyrenees uh, to Santiago. And then we went on to the Atlantic coast to uh, a place called Finisterre, the, the end of the earth. And we had a really tight time frame uh, from the time that we got to the Atlantic Ocean and we had to catch our flight <clears throat> back to the the states and so all of our transition time was pretty much uh, once we got on that airplane but in italy we're only going about 60 percent as far and once we get to rome and we uh, finish with the rotary part of the trip we're going to take another 10 days or so and spend a little time in rome and then go down to pompeii for a few days and one or two other places so we'll have some decompression time mm -hmm. that's different than what we had in, in Spain. And plus, uh, my brother's coming, so it'll be some nice time with family, too. So it's a little bit different setup than what, what we've done before. So then it's, of course, is called One Step Closer. And uh, I I will... I promise everybody who's been listening that we'll put up all the, all the hashtags and all the, how you can donate and how you can, how you can be a part of it or even do some type of mirroring program at your rotary group. Is your, is your rotary group, uh, the rotary group for global action? Are you part of Brian's group or what, what rotary group do you yes, call yes. home? Okay. So yeah. So the Rotary Group for Global Action, I do ask my friends out there listening to my voice, check it out. It is an e-club, and that is how uh, Michael and Helen can be all over the world at once and still make their Rotary meetings, which is nice. Are you going to, I have to ask, I assume you're going to have some type of electronics with you you need to have for safety. Of course, you need to have some type of thing. Are you... I, and I think we talked about this a bit uh, a little while ago, but are you going to be social media in in from the trail? Are we gonna are or are we just gonna be in Rome hoping that you make it? <laughs> no, well, um, a couple different questions. Mike can maybe talk a little bit about the the safety aspect. The, the way that we have it set up with with Brian. Uh, our immediate past club president is that we will be sending daily uh, Instagram and Facebook posts oh, to fine. him. And then he will be um, taking care of editing and posting them every day that we're gone. 
Um, and our club is tracking us because they know where we're going to be every night and where our lodgings are and so forth. So, you know, we're not going to be just isolated and every place we're going to be has a telephone. So it's not. So it's not nearly the the pilgrimage of 500 years ago by any way, shape or form. Okay. If you want to talk about Jim and. Yeah, Jim, uh, our companion, Jim Ludwig, uh, will also have a GPS locator with him so that uh, it will broadcast or send out a message to people showing his exact position at different points along the trail. And we hope to be doing interviews along the way and some stuff that'll be uh, in uh, real time. He's got a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a remote site or something? A hotspot. Hot spot there. A hotspot, yeah. He's uh, going to be. Uh, so, so we'll be able to keep an eye on you. That addition. So we'll be able to keep an All eye on you time. during your travels. Okay, well, that sounds cool. When do you start your trip? When does When does day one begin in Florence? Well, we walk out of our lodging and start walking towards Rome on September 8th. Okay. And we arrive October 5th. That's assuming, you know, we do everything right and everything happens as it should. Wow. That's a lot of walking, you two. (laughs) Are you excited? I mean, I know you're doing... I know you're yeah. doing this for charity, but are you like, are you excited? I mean, is this, you know, this is what yeah. you do. And we, we're very excited about the trip itself. We're excited about spending the time in Italy. I, I told Mike, I'm excited about having tiramisu whenever I want to. Mm. And, uh, or at least when it's available there. And I think just the interaction with Rotarians on an international level will will be wonderful. We've we've heard from several Italian clubs and it just seems like we're going to really be able to connect with a lot of Rotarians in Italy. And many of them are very excited about this event and the focus on ending polio. So we're just real happy about doing that. And we like to walk too. So it's all good. Yeah. There you go. Good. So you please, Michael. Yes. There's going to be a lot of things that are different, and so we're looking forward to these these things. And we've learned a lot, uh, even just getting prepared for this. Uh, things like you can download Google Translate on your cell phone and yes. do it off offline. Uh, and we've uh, been learning Italian. We're not going to be proficient at it, but we're going to be at level one, if people know what that is, dinner, you know, beginner level. Mm-hmm. We found that the Spanish that we uh, have uh, really helps a lot with our grasp of Italian. So we we will be giving a presentation in Italian and we'll be able to uh, do some basic exchanges in Italian. So we're looking forward to, to that challenge as something new. So we have we haven't uh, interacted with Rotarians uh, to the extent that we anticipate interacting in Italy. So we're looking forward to that too. So then what's next? You've been to Spain. You're now about to go to Italy. Do you have another one on the back burner? I mean, until we, until we lick polio, this is still an open, an open thing that you can do, especially with how successful this year is going to be. What's your next one? 
Well, we we maybe to be determined, but we <laughs> there's a, there's a wonderful route that goes from Lisbon, Portugal, Portugal to uh, Santiago de Compostela. It's it's a shorter route, I think, less than 300 miles. And we've also talked about the possibility of of doing uh, one in France. There's uh, several uh, trails there that connect into the Camino de Santiago. So who knows? We've got many possibilities out there. I don't know. I'm, I'm leaning towards France. That is a country that I have wanted to explore for a very long time. So, well, then let me... Um, ask you then one one or two more questions and I'll and I'll let you go back to training. Uh <laughs> um so you're you're proud members of Rotary. How did you get into Rotary? Like who's who's I should ask whose idea was this? We now know why you're doing it. We know when and where but but you know who's whose original idea was not only should we walk this but Let's make a let's make a fundraiser out of it. Who, which one of you guys can can we blame for all this walking? Boy, that's a tough question. What do you think, Mike? Well, I met somebody at a Rotary convention mm-hmm. uh, that was putting together a fundraising platform, and I got involved with using that platform to uh, raise money for. A, a local project in Elko, Nevada, in our Rotary Club. And I think that was one part of it, was that we were acquainted with this fundraising platform and, and interested in it. And then, as Helen mentioned earlier, it was the death of our friend, Sarah Sweetwater, uh, who we knew as a, as a polio survivor and a very uh, ardent supporter of the polio program. Uh, at about the you know pro- prior to our planning this trip to to Spain, and so I had the idea. Well, let's make this a, a fundraiser if we can. We'll just wear signs that say uh, "Put an end to polio" and you know see if we can get people to donate. It worked out better than than we really anticipated. I think we did. It's sort of symbiotic. I think we we just thought it well. We could do this walk in Spain that we heard about from a different place and. Uh, we could also do something to benefit uh, polio and it, it just kind of came together. It seems yeah. like, so I guess we have to blame each other. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that works. How much money did you make for the walk in Spain? If you happen to know. We actually uh, had a goal of $15,000, which I thought was a, a stretch, but I said, well, whatever. You know, let's do it. People were skeptical of it. It turned out we raised uh, fifteen thousand. We we raised about uh, thirteen thousand eight hundred or something. And somebody at the very end said, "I'm going to make that fifteen thousand for you." And so, so you reached we your ended goal. Up with fifteen thousand zero. Yeah, we we did. And then, so then we had the Bill and Melinda Gates match, which is two for one. So when Rotary raises you know, X amount of dollars in the Bill and Melinda Gates match that for polio two to one. So that 15,000 became 45,000 in terms of polio. And I think that's really important to stress that this walk 
is also doing that as well through yes. the foundation yes. as well. And so 15,000 turned into 45,000 last time. What is your goal this time? Our club's goal is 75,000. Yeah, I think 75,000. Um, so making it, so, so times three, or is that after the gates get in there? No, that's, uh, the that the idea is that that's before the gates get in there, and that's several people doing different funding raising activities. Uh, Brian has already done some. Our friend Jim has done some. A couple other club members have done some. So it's several people that are working on this, even though only three are walking the whole distance. And we're hoping that uh, the Rotary clubs around the world will also get engaged and and help support this effort because it really is important to eradicate polio so that's, well that's the current thinking that i i'll take i'll take seventy five thousand times three why not especially if you go from 15 which is nothing to shake a stick at you guys i mean i think that's fantastic that turned into 45 and now to have this, you know, uh, I do believe my simple math is that we're talking around a quarter of a million dollars that you guys are going for roughly a little less than that. But I mean, why not? Why not? I mean, you why know, not? if you're I mean, one thing that I do appreciate about your past president, Brian, is, uh, you know, why not shoot high, you know, and exactly. Uh, Bringing in that much for a beautiful walk in Italy being uh, taken care of by other Rotarians. I couldn't think of a better way to raise money. So the hashtag is one step closer and it's a walk for polio. Hashtag walk for polio. You're starting on the 8th. You're ending on October 5th. And if memory serves me right, there is a Facebook page and Instagram, all kinds of stuff. So I'm going to ask my listeners to go check it out. any last words from you guys? Anything anything you want to add before we before we sign off tonight? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say that the team page, the page that our club put put up allows anybody, an individual or a club to just hit that plus mark and become a team member, then they can have their own fundraiser. All our site does is act as a doorway to the uh, polio fund in Rotary. We're not raising the money and handling the money ourselves. Our webpage is just uh, a portal, a a site, and they can easily join. All they have to do is come to our our club's page and join as a team member and join in with the effort. We're a, a global club and we're Rotary. We're welcome everybody. Uh, the other avenue is just, uh, any club could avail themselves of that uh, raise.rotary.org site and do their own fundraiser. We're focused on raising awareness, raising funds. We're not focused on raising money for ourselves or, or saying that we're getting all this money. I, I would be just as happy to see people donate uh, any any way they can. Absolutely. I think so we, the, Mike will send you, please. Yeah. Please, you were Mike saying. send you the links. Okay. Uh, so Mike's going to well, send I, me, Mike's yeah. going to send me the links. 
and you guys are going to walk from Florence to Rome and we're going to get behind you and I'm going to check out the portal. I mean, I am the past president of my club, which according to my bylaws, that means that I am the director uh, of my of my club's relationship with the Rotary Foundation. And so um, I have to go check out the portal, you guys. Maybe maybe there's a there's a perfect uh, partnership about to bloom here. I think, I think it sounds, and I think every club should check out uh, rise for rise for rotary. Cause I think it is one of those avenues not used as much as it could be for sure. Don't you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Michael, Helen, thank you for being on the show today. Best of luck. Keep up the training. Um, and, uh, such an honor thank you thank you for doing this thank you for doing this the whole idea that we have you know then in october there's the usual kind of get togethers and hearing about polio and raising the paddle but to meet two people that are really going to put not only their money where their mouth is but their feet as well <laughs> to walk from florence to rome it's been an honor to meet you both and i thank you so much for being on the show Thank you. It was a privilege for us to be interviewed by you. Yeah, we enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. So, what are you going to be doing October 24th? Hmm? Maybe you can go uh, hashtag one step closer or check out the Walk for Polio website and uh, donate or become a part of. I know my Rotary Club is. In fact, we're even including our Interact Club with a good old-fashioned walkathon inspired by Helen and Michael. Helen and Michael, thank you so much for all that you're doing. Enjoy your travels. And hey, Rotarians that can hear my voice, we were this close and now it's spreading again. Gosh darn it, we can do this. We can. No child, no adult should ever, ever have to know the pain and the anguish of polio again. We are this close and we are going to be one step closer with all of your help. As always, I thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Do tell a friend about the podcast, have them download and write a review. If you want to hear my musical side, you know that one too. Check me out on Rotary Radio UK. And until next week, do take care of yourself and the world around you. And we'll see you next time on the I'm a Rotarian podcast. Have a great week, everyone. And let's end polio now. <laughs> we'll hear you next week. Bye-bye.